0: The title of the message is Redigging the Wells, Leaving a Lasting Legacy, Redigging the Wells. And uh, first off, I want to talk about just the obvious. What is a well? You know, we think about, you know, for me, when I hear the word well water, I think, oh gosh, <laughs> because whenever I go visit my dad, he has well water. So you brush your teeth and you're like, <laughs> like it just doesn't smell minty. It smells like I'm brushing my teeth with like egg salad, you know, with a little bit of mint. Like mixed in there, and uh, you know, I'm like washing, and nothing ever suds up. It seems like I'm like, what? What in the world is going on here? So it's kind of a confusing situation for me when I'm in the midst of well water. That has nothing to do with the message, but <laughs> so when you when you think about wells, it, it takes me right back to when I was when we were in Israel, and, um, and the I was preaching at a conference that was in the Negev Desert. And if you were in the Negev Desert, that's traditionally where David wrote Psalm 23. You know, that's where, it's just, a, it's a wasteland. It's a barren wasteland. It's very close to, uh, to uh, Masada. It's close to the, the Dead Sea. But outside of the Dead Sea, that entire time I was there, I never saw water. There wasn't a, there wasn't a stream running through the desert. There wasn't any oasises. It was barren rocks and dirt and, you know, just, I mean, there was very, very little life. And uh, we even, me and a friend of mine, when we I would preach, the night before we would go and we would go out into the desert and we'd pray together. We'd go up and climb up on a hill and we'd stand up there for a couple hours and we'd just pray for the next day. And this whole time I see, I see nothing. It's just a, a barren wasteland. And, and in this environment that Israel was living in, we see a well to them was a source of ...of life in this harsh and barren wasteland. It's a source of life. It's a source of provision. It's, a, it's something that a, a family or a, a town would dig a well... ...and that's what would provide for their entire town. And in John chapter 7 verse 38... ...we are called streams of living water. It says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said... ...streams of living water will flow from within him. This is a beautiful picture of the living gospel flowing through us. It's a, it's a picture of provision coming from us to a world that is trapped in darkness, that is, that is lost in the, the wilderness of sin, that they don't have the living water to partake of. But that, Jesus says, when you come to me and you drink of my well, my well will now flow through you. And these rivers of living water will continually flow. It's not just... Uh, we have a cup here. When it's poured out, we hope that God fills it up. It's a, it's a running river that flows through us from inside, from the throne. And it brings life and provision to those we meet, to those we come across, whether it's in a hunter's heart ministry and you're talking to somebody. And, and, and we don't know all these people out there that you're sharing with, broken, lost, hurting. You don't know the situations they're trapped in. You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know what's going on in their marriage or their family. You, you have no idea where they're at. But you know what? You have a stream of living water that flows through you. You have this well from the throne. And it brings provision to everyone we meet. There's that, that, that well of salvation that's, that's springing up inside of you. And now we're going to start in Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. If you'd like to uh, flip there, I would encourage that. You read along, uh, read along with me. I have all the scriptures printed out, but I still brought still brought my Bible up here in case I wanted to turn to all of them too. But Genesis 26, 18 is where we're going to start at. And uh, I saw this. I read this scripture a while ago, and I, I started to look into it. And I really wanted to dig into it a little bit as we start the message tonight. tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to being here on Saturday nights, okay? So give me a break. <laughs> Genesis 26, 18 says this. Isaac reopened the wells. That had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given Had given them. So you think awesome? What on earth could we what could we get from this? And uh, as I was reading this, I number one, you're a well like that that Abraham dug. That was a part of his legacy. This was something Abraham dug this well. He named this well. This well provided for his family. It provided fresh water for their flocks. It provided water for their drinking. It, it was, it's very much a source of life and legacy for Abraham. Isaac redigs these wells, no doubt reflecting upon the life of his father. This was his father's legacy. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, a well, you know, very much as you think, you know, has water. You go down, and you get the water out with a bucket or whatever. Well, They would take, like the Philistines would come, they would stop it up. They'd just pour dirt and rocks in it until it was full. Guess what? A little hard to get water out of that, isn't it? Until you start digging, and you start digging, and you start unpacking all these things, and you start removing that clutter, you start removing that uh, proverbial sin out of the wells until you get back down to that source of water, until you get down to that that fresh water for drinking. So he's he's redigging these, no doubt thinking about his father's legacy. His father was a man of faith. His father was a man who heard from God and responded, even to the point when, when God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your one and only son, whom you love, very much a foreshadowing of Jesus, even in the words and everything, and I want you to go to Mount Horeb. I want you to march three days in the desert, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Whew! I'd have to go, you know what? I think I misheard that, because... I, <laughs> Because there's no way I'm marching out into the desert and killing my child. But <clears throat> Abraham, a man of faith, knew that God was going to provide and marched into the desert either way with his son, heeding to the Lord. And when he gets to that mountain, we all know that God provides a ram. But you think about this. Isaac was with him this whole time. Isaac is a man who loved his father, who loves the Lord, and who's now... Redigging and and unearthing his father's legacy and getting those wells flowing again, and uh, what I really what was really amazing to me is this. I mean, Isaac knows that he has the knowledge that his father is a man who listens to God, and now he's restoring his father's legacy, opening the wells, and even renaming them what Abraham had originally named them. Now, that second word where it says Isaac reopened, that word reopened in Hebrew is shub. Isn't that exciting? Shub. Shub, deep uh, So, anyways, this word shub, right? In Hebrew, this is, this is something that really struck me. I found it pretty, pretty amazing. Maybe it will be to you too, because it says this. When Isaac reopened, it not just means reopen, it means to turn back, to return, to restore. It, it actually has a figurative meaning of the, re- the restoration of fellowship as one turns in repentance to God. As Isaac was reopening those wells, it's like his heart turns and returns to God in, in repentance. That's the word for, that's, that's a part of the word for repentance. Restoring your heart to the Creator. So he's opening these wells, but at the same time, it's not just a well that's reopened. He's turning back to his God in restoration. He's returning to his God. Now uh, now that we've got kind of a picture of what this well is, this this source of life, we're going to get into uh, my first point. Shockingly enough this morning, I have three points for you. This might be one of the very first times you've ever gotten points from me in a sermon. So I would suggest writing them down because who knows if this will happen again. You never know. You just don't know if this is going to occur. So it's very important. And uh, so, (laughs) at least it is to me. All right. Point number one on leaving a lasting legacy. Point number one, your legacy must impact your family. Point number one, your legacy must impact your family. Number one. So, as a, what a, what it makes me think about is my mom. My mom's a wonderful woman, and uh, she is the first on a, on that side of my family to become a Christian. She's the first one, and she got she became a Christian. I think around 18 or 19 years old. Her declaration of following jesus christ changed the generations to come that's the beauty of the gospel that's the beauty of this well that flows from with from within us as we as we get further into this we're going to see what happens when you turn you might be the very first person in your family to become a believer in jesus christ to become a follower of jesus christ if you are that person you dug that well and you've opened up this well and you said, now my family has the rights to follow in my footsteps. Like Joshua says, we're going to read this in a second. But Joshua declares, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You've, you've changed, you've biblically changed the course of your family for generations. I mean, it, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. So you see, uh, you see you're, leaving, you're leaving a lasting legacy for your generations to come. Joshua 24, if you guys want to turn there. Joshua 24, 14, and 15. We're gonna look at, we're gonna look at this. While you turn there, I'm gonna tell you a quick story about I called my dad to ask him about the, the family background on that side, uh, who on my father's side, I'm a fourth generation Christian. And what happened was my great my great-grandfather lived in the mountains of West Virginia. And uh, apparently at <clears throat> at some point, He was walking through, my dad told me, he was walking through a holler. Never heard of a holler. I've been hollered at by my mom numerous times. Uh, In more recent years, I've learned that holler has a whole different word, because you'd be like, holler at your boy, you know, that kind of stuff. So, never knew that a holler, what a holler was. So, my dad tells me that that he was walking through a holler. I said, what are you talking about? Uh, I said, you mean a valley? And he goes, no, a holler. I was like, okay, so... Through much toil in Google search, uh, it, it, seem, it appears to me that a holler is a valley. So, uh, I don't know why my dad can't admit that. Um, so, my great-grandfather is walking through this holler, and as much as I can, I think is a, it's a very small, like a tight, narrow valley in the mountains. Is that our southerners? Okay, all right, good. <coughs> very much removed from those roots, I think. <coughs> Oh, that was nice, wasn't it? Woo! <clears throat> <clears throat> all right, here we go. So, great-grandpa's walking through this by himself, right? Middle of the wilderness. And, uh, and all of a sudden, a voice speaks to him and says his name. And says, you are to follow me. And right then he gave his heart to the Lord as a young man walking by himself through the woods. And, uh, and he preached into his 90s. He preached into his 90s. I remember as a little kid... Meeting him, we'd go over, I'd sit on his lap, and, you know, he'd talk to us and pray for us and stuff, and just a, you know, a neat old man with a bunch of really disgusting poodles around his house, I mean, that is is not an exaggeration, you know how, I mean, if you're a poodle lover, forgive me, I think they're the most disgusting animals, and especially when they get up there and age, because then they start looking like they're falling apart and rotting and stuff, and you're like, you know, they, you just look at them, you're like, Really? That's a dog, you know. You think, uh, sorry, that you think, you know, it's kind of like a gremlin crossbred with like a, like a, a Kleenex. I don't know. So, so, uh, so we go over there, and the house was disgusting. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just remember this story. So my dad, my dad, and my mom, when the short amount of time that they were together for the, for I guess about enough time to have me, they went over there one time. And they went in, and they said the house smelled so horribly bad. They found out that one of the, one of the poodle puppies that they're raising... This, I'm sorry if you're animal rights, too. I'm going to offend all kinds of people this morning. I'm realizing this as I'm talking. Uh, it fell down into, into the ventilation shaft for the furnace, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, happened to succumb to the temperatures of the furnace. And... Um, They didn't really have a way to get out the dog. They didn't have any extra money, so they did what any normal person would do: let it rot in your furnace pipes, (laughs) and blow that sweet, fragrant smell throughout the house. And then my dad, my mom, and his his best friend came over one time, and my great grandma tried to give them tapioca pudding, warm tapioca pudding with this smell floating around. My my, my, they're like, they just went running out of the house. They're like, no, thank you. So yeah, so his lasting legacy, not only for you guys, is this horrible story about this poor puppy <laughs> biting the dust and rotting in, our, in their furnace, is the fact that this man was called by God as a young man and preached into his 90s and followed the Lord his entire life. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And that, that right there, that response to the prompting of the Spirit changed generations of our family. Because I can tell you one thing: if you met me as a young man, you'd never—I I would have never believed that I was going to be a pastor later in life. I would have never believed that I was going to be a follower of Jesus later in life because I was so steeped in sin and so far from anything that even looked somewhat religious. I mean, but God's grace is sufficient. And when you, when you turn to God, you're leaving a lasting legacy and it's going to impact your family for generations to come. Joshua 24, starting in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that should be your declaration as well over your family. Because your fa- and even if you're a young person who gave your, your life to the Lord, that should be your declaration over your family that's to come. Over your declaration of your unsaved relatives right now in your family. Your relative, your your declaration should be: As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, in Isaiah chapter twelve, starting in verse one, we're uh, we're a little bit we're we're spread around a little bit here, but I really this is a really incredible picture of God's salvation. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter one or twelve, verse one. In that day, you will say. I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make him known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Amen. We draw from the wells of salvation. We draw from those wells. This is a, a phenomenal thing. And... Uh, and that's, that becomes our right. That becomes our inheritance. Now, Proverbs 3, you don't have to turn there. It's just a short one. Proverbs 3.35 says, The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. Or in the New King James, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Now, I want to point out that you guys have opened the well of salvation to your family, changing the course for generations. You're leaving a legacy for them to follow in your footsteps. Now that, that word in Proverbs 3.35 for inherit is nakal, which really means to pass on as inheritance what you are allotted or to make as a heritage. You're making your family's heritage salvation, what you're passing along. You're saying, this is the path that I walked. I'm passing this on to you. Your legacy isn't shame. Your legacy isn't leaving, living a life for yourself. Because unfortunately, that's what a lot of people think their legacy is going to be. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do this for a living. Or this is, you know, their legacy revolves around either their work or their hobbies. Just these random things. But our legacy must revolve around Jesus Christ. Our legacy must revolve, revolve around seeking to glorify Him with our life and the way that we live it. And our legacy must, must, must impact our family. Now, uh, Shannon Aldler said this, Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. May may the stories those to come after you share about you revolve around what you've done for the Lord and the way that you've made a lasting impact. You know, like my, my grandfather walking through that valley giving his heart to the Lord. You know, that's a story I'll remember forever. You know, or the fact that I knew as a, as a young child he was still preaching even though he's ex- extraordinarily old to me. And I think, but I mean, I think it really was. He's in his 90s. I mean, that's, that's pretty old, you know. Let's be honest here. So, but that legacy will affect our family. And, and, and our children, they're a reflection of who we are and what we do. And, and the thing, and so we have to think about that. The, the way we act, the way we live is going to be reflected in our children. And, and I was thinking about this uh, the other day, this, a buddy of mine named Harley, he's not a Christian guy, he cuts my hair, right, and he goes, uh, and the girls actually happened to meet him because he cut Rachel's hair one time, and Naomi and Ella happened to be with her, right, and uh, Harley's not a Christian, and uh, he's a really nice guy, but he's not a Christian, but the thing that was amazing, somehow Harley came up between me and the girls, we were talking, and they are asking something about him. And Ella's first question was, does Harley know Jesus? And I thought, man, that's cool. Like, that's the first thing in her mind is, I wonder if he knows who Jesus is. I wonder if he knows him. And I thought, that's, that's a pretty neat thing. And I just want to encourage you guys that your legacy will impact your children and your children's children and their children. It's something that goes for generation after generation after generation. Point two. Leaving a lasting legacy, point two. Our legacy not only affects our family, point one, but point two, our legacy should affect our community. It shouldn't end with you, and it shouldn't end with your immediate family. Your legacy should start to reach into your community. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. When you share with somebody that Jesus is, is just so unbelievable, you talk about the work that he did in your life, how he brought you from darkness to light, how he brought me as a slave to sin and to myself and a slave to the devil and brought me from that darkness to light, how he brings healing. In Isaiah 61, 1, I love this. But the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because, he's, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. I mean, this gospel we have is Power. And we're proclaiming this power that brings healing to the brokenhearted. It brings wholeness to those who are hurting and aching. Those who are lost in depression. Those who are bound up by sin and suffering. God proclaims this peace. He proclaims this is good news that you carry. This river that flows through you brings healing to the nations. So never be ashamed to share the good news with somebody else. Because it says right there, "How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news!" It's an amazing thing—the gospel that we have is power. And I, I want you to think about: Does your does your legacy end with you saying that you're a Christian, or are you in your community making a difference among the people, bringing good news? Those who are in need of good news, are you changing your community? I want—I was thinking back when I was preparing this about when I started Skate Church. Uh, This had to be seven plus years ago. And I started hanging out with these skater kids and I started realizing, man, they needed something more. Because all of a sudden we're sitting there and they're sitting on the ground on the pavement with me and tell me about all their problems and what's going on in their families. I didn't ask about any of this stuff. I was just skating with them. You know, they asked if I could go skate with them. I said, sure. Next thing I know is we're sitting in a circle and they're telling me everything that's going on in their lives. And we end up sitting there and we pray together and... I just share a little bit of some Bible verses with them. And, and I head back to my car, gonna, just going to go home, you know, big surprise. And, uh, and one of them comes running after me and grabs me. And he's like, hey, I want to give my life to the Lord. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, Does this happen? You know? And I was like, so I was like, all right, he's probably confused. He doesn't mean that. So... I was like, you do realize this is what it looks like to be a servant and a follower of Jesus. And I, and I you know, so I'm, now I find myself trying to talk him out of it, you know. I'm like, okay, you know, it's not, you know. You know so I go through this whole thing, and he's like, yeah, 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 I know. We, we knelt down on the pavement, and we prayed together, and he asked the Lord into his heart. That was the first kid I led to the Lord at the starting of Skate Church. And uh, the first of many to come, but... It was, it's amazing, as I look back and see those kids that I, I led to the Lord, now they're, they're, you know, a lot of them are just following the Lord, and they're, you know, they're, they're just awesome guys now. They're young, you know, young men in their early 20s, and they're just, you know, they're living for the Lord, and it's really a cool thing to see. But I saw this need in this generation, so I just started looking at the Bible with them, opening the scriptures with them. And then you start seeing lives get changed and lives get touched and the Lord just doing His work and it's an amazing thing. The choices we make about the lives we live determine the kind of legacies we leave. The choices we make about the lives we live determine the kind of legacies we leave. Now, uh, we have to think about that. You know, we have, we have things like Riverside going on. Phenomenal way to get into your community and leave a legacy and touch and impact some families. Uh, Point three, leaving a lasting legacy. Our legacy not only affects our family, which was point one, our community, which was point two, but the third and final point, our legacy should leave a global footprint. Our legacy should leave a global footprint. In Acts thirteen forty-seven, it says this, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Through you, salvation should flow to the ends of the earth when uh, two years ago, when I went on the, the trip to Ghana with the church here, and we helped build a, we helped build a building there in the two weeks that we were there, and it was three classrooms during the week for school and on the weekends, it was a place for them to meet inside for their services on, uh, for their church services on sunday and, uh, and I got to spend that time there, get to know these. These kids get to know the the workers in the school, get to know the pastors, and they're just phenomenal. And I know that a piece of my heart was was planted there. I know that I was was deeply impacted inside and out from going to Africa. I got really sick, so I left parts of me, um, I know I left parts of me there, Um, I was sick for two and a half weeks from that trip, and I thought, I'll go back eventually, Lord, but let it not be next summer. (laughs) I came home, and Naomi and Ella were like, Daddy? <laughs> I'm, like, super dark, super skinny. I know that's hard to believe. And I had a beard, because I left, and I had no beard. I had, like, a little... I think I had a little a little patch there. I, I came back, and I had a beard from my eyeballs to, like, my Adam's apple. I'm, like... You know, I come off the plane, and they're like, like, Tom Hanks, you know, like, Castaway. away. Like, what? They're like, Daddy? I'm like, Hi. <laughs> so, uh... But then I kept my beard. So that see, lasting legacy. My global footprint is apparently my beard because I have not shaved it off since Africa. But I was, I was walking around there and it was amazing to me to see how the, how the people there were living. To see that as I walked around to see little tiny two- and three-year-old kids by themselves walking down the streets, walking through fields, just solo, like a group two, three, four of them just hanging out, walking by themselves. I mean... To me, it, it was it was shocking coming from America. I don't. I wouldn't even let my daughters walk to the end of the street by themselves. You know what I mean? But these kids are by themselves day in day out, near, around their friends, and and you see the connection that these people have with uh with their friends was amazing to me because I saw I saw a young man when I got there to the airport in Ghana in Accra. We're sitting there, and I watched this guy. Um, you know. You're adjusting, you're tired, the you know, time difference, and you're like trying to take it all in. And then I see, I see this walk past me. I see a guy with fatigues, boots, machine gun, you know, walking and holding hands with this other dude. And I was like, I watched them stroll by and thought, nope, no, pretty sure this is not a gay couple. You know, that's the way it struck me. You know, I'm like, guy with a machine gun, the other dude, walked by me and I thought, hmm, What's going on here? And then I see another couple guys who are just standing there with their arms around each other, very affectionate, right? And then that next morning, we were at a church service, and I went up and I spoke to the guitar player, uh, as a guitar player, and I was like, hey, you did a great job this morning, and, you know, just encouraged them. And I went back, and I was talking with some people, and he came over, and he goes, could I ask you to show me some things on the guitar? And I said, sure. And he goes, so we're here, and there's a whole front of the church, you know, and then his guitar rig." He goes, come on, and he grabs my hand, and he holds my hand, <sighs> and I'm like, wow, I'm so, thinking inside, I'm so uncomfortable right now, I'm like, hey, everybody, you know, so we're just strolling along, holding hands, you know, and obviously, I hold his hand, but I start to realize there was something different about the culture, they were so much closer, and you know those, those little kids you see who are two and three walking around by themselves, that's their friends. The other other two- and three-year-olds are walking around. They grow up with each other. They're not at home with their parents day and night. They're with their friends. And when they get older, they're very close. You see them them hugging on each other. You see them arms around each other. And I experienced that. I knew when he did that, I knew he was saying, you know, I love you. I feel like you're one of us. Come with me. When he grabbed my hand. And as uncomfortable it made me in the beginning, I was very used to it by the end. I I remember... One night, I was sitting on a wall during this, we had a big pig roast for the people that worked uh, at the school, which I didn't eat any of because I was so extraordinarily sick. So I'm sitting there and he wants me, I have my guitar and I'm showing him how to play some chords and malaria is very prevalent over there and the whites of their eyes turn yellow, like bright yellow and the one teacher who's got malaria is hanging all over me like I'm showing him how to play guitar. I'm playing. He's got his arm around me, his face like right here, and he's staring at my fingers, and I'm like, oh my. <laughs> I'm just I'm playing, I'm thinking, I wonder how sick I am gonna I did get sick, but it was not malaria. It was God only knows what it was. But the doctor's like, if these pills don't kill this by Friday, you're going to the bloodborne pathogen. Doctor, I was like, Yes, all right, awesome. So, and and you know, and one final story about Africa, the pastor went to a Sunday morning service, and uh, I'm in, you know, khakis and my African shirt, you know, we're there, and we're sitting down in front, they have you kind of sit in front of the congregation during worship, so everybody's staring at you the whole time, which is really cool, and um, we're sitting there, and the pastor goes, he leans over to me and goes, you're going to preach this morning, I went, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) And I... And he's like, you're going to preach this morning. I was like, did you have anything you're going to speak on? You know, any direction? (laughs) And so uh, I spoke that morning, and he asked me if I would be kind enough to go help him baptize his people. And at this point, we were told that the people were getting parasites. The children were getting parasites from the river going up into them, if you know what I'm saying. And they're urinating blood and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, dear Lord. Of course I'm going to help you baptize. But (laughs) I'm thinking... I'm like one of two things is going to occur. God's going to keep me from getting these little parasite things, or number two, we've got pretty good doctors in America, so I'll get this fixed when I get back. So one, one or two things are going to occur. I've got this open cut on my ankle bone because we spend hours with these kids after we, you know, work for 12 hours. We spend hours with them playing soccer and stuff like that, which I'm horrible at. And uh, so, like, my ankle's cut up. I've got an open wound, and now I'm wading out into this dirty river to baptize people. I'm like, yes. But um, but, I mean, it's amazing. We baptized 20-some people that day, you know, just one after another, and and, uh, God is just moving incredibly. And um, it's it's amazing to participate in things like this. Even New Orleans, shameless plug, I'm leading the New Orleans trip at the end of July. I'd love for you guys to come with me, so uh, please sign up for that. Last summer when I was in New Orleans, I got the pleasure of leading a young man to the Lord at the block party. Didn't plan on doing that. Didn't go there with anything in mind except for watching my radio and my iPod, which is what was playing the music for the block party. I thought, I'm going to sit next to this. This will be my part of the block party, making sure there's music and my music doesn't get stolen. You know, that was kind of my mentality. So I was sitting on the tailgate of the truck next to my radio. Wasn't planning on leaving that spot. And um, after a while, I started feeling convicted about just sitting there and not talking to anybody. Not that I didn't enjoy sitting there and not talking to anybody. So I got up and I, I wander over to the table of these hideous red hot dogs we unfortunately were feeding to the people. They are the most disgusting things I've ever seen. I was like, see your shirt? Could you stand up real quick? See that red? Go ahead. See this red? That's what the hot dogs look like. Would you want to eat that? Thanks. You can sit down. Would you want to eat a hot dog that looked like that? Not natural. Not natural. I, I, they must have injected everyone with Kool-Aid. I don't know. So we're feeding these horrible hot dogs to people. But. Uh, This young man was standing there, and I I spoke with him. I talked to him, and I encouraged him. And about halfway through, I'm a little slow. Halfway through the conversation, I thought, "Wait a minute, the Lord's doing something here." You know, it took me a while. And as we're talking, he's telling me about how his grandmother goes to church, but how he's never really, you know, he's never really done any of that. And this girl that he talks to at uh, at his work, she's she goes to church, and he's like, "But I've just never really been interested." And I started thinking, I'm like, all right, God's doing something here. And I said, do you believe that God puts you in front of me today for a reason? He goes, yes, I do. I said, do you believe God is working in your heart right now? And he goes, yes, I do. I said, do you think it's time for you to make a change and start serving the Lord? He said, yes, I do. And we sat there and we prayed together. And I got a Bible into his hand. And he said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my grandmother that I'm a believer. I'm going to start going to church with her on Sundays. I'm going to tell the people I work with. And, I, and he left a totally different person than he changed then he came. He came with no hope. And he left filled with hope. Filled with the hope of, of Jesus Christ and making a difference in, in his family and for the generations to come after him. It's an amazing thing. And, and your life should leave a global footprint. Whether you, I would encourage every one of you to go on a missions trip overseas. I would encourage every one of you to get involved in some of that or at least get on a prayer chain where it's giving you information about different countries and you, can, and you can make a global footprint by praying for these nations and praying for the gospel and laborers to be raised up and to go into these nations. In uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is a scripture I'm going to end with, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. He calls his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations. That is our job as the church to leave a global footprint, to make an impact around the world. Not just in our families, not just in our communities, but around the world. And... I want you guys to dream big. Don't think, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. That that statement's true in and of yourself. But you have Jesus. And with him, you have the conqueror of the world living inside of you. Benjamin Franklin said this. If you would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. Live a life that's worth Recollection when you pass. Do things for the Lord that you can't do in and of yourself, but go out there and make a difference. Leave a lasting legacy. When we redig these wells of our lives, we're leaving a footprint on the earth that will never fade, but it will propel the generations to come to follow in your footprint as you touch your family, your community, and the world, bringing lasting change. We've got to bring lasting change to this world. Remember, first point, our legacy, our lasting legacy, is our family. It's going to impact our family. Point two, our community. And point three, the global community. I want you to be aware. Be aware that your legacy you leave behind, let it count for eternity. So it doesn't fade as soon as you leave this earth. It just doesn't disappear with you. And somebody's like, oh, well, he was a good employee. Oh, he was good this or that. Let your legacy be something that counts for eternity, as Leonard Ravenhill said, "This life is but a dressing room for eternity. It's getting you ready for the next life, and leave a legacy that that points to eternity. Leave a legacy that points to the cross. Leave a legacy of salvation. Like just just lead the way and leave something that's going to change this world. I want to I want to pray for you guys. Let's let's uh, let's close in prayer here."